Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Trying to stall for you all so you can talk longer as the introverts in the room are dying. Hey, good to see you all. Um, my name is Dave Newhouse. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm also the director of Project Renew, which is our justice and peacemaking initiative here at Denver Community Church. Um, I don't teach all that often anymore, so it's fun to be here with you. Um, this Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent. So Lent technically began on Wednesday, for those of you that joined us for our Ash Wednesday service. And Lent is the, the time in the, church, in the church tradition where we take, it's the 40 days that precedes Easter. And the word Lent literally means lengthen, so that for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, this is the time in the spring when, thank God, the days begin to lengthen, right? Uh, we get a little more sunlight, and we're building toward, um, we're building toward the summer, really, but we're also building toward Easter. And Easter being the celebration of Christ's resurrection, um, the tradition of Lent is basically to, to not run to Easter, but kind of crawl around in the dark for a while. It's the tradition of identifying with our humanity and very much identifying with Christ's humanity, Christ's suffering, and the necessary path of pain and suffering uh, that we all have to go on in life, that oftentimes before we see resurrection, um, we have to experience a bit of death and a bit of our humanity. And so that's what Lent is. And so um, I get the opportunity to share a little bit about uh, a passage today that's going to be the center of our teaching over the next 40 days as we go on this Lenten journey together. So if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, uh, which, believe it or not, is on page 1. Um, and this, we're, we're here often as a church. We spend time in this text and oftentimes you'll hear us refer to the, the first chapter or the first few chapters of the Bible as um, a creation poem. Because the reality is um, the Hebrew authors, like many, many ancient authors, weren't trying to create a scientific text for a verse of, full of facts about how the world was created, but we're given imagery. And we're given a really strong poetic structure for um, what God was doing through the creation of the world. And, and sort of, we're giving you a picture of the purpose of all this and how it comes together. And in Genesis 1, what we see is this, a sequence of events that happen over the course of what we're, we're told are, are days or epics. So we're, we begin with day one, and we see that there's a separation of light from darkness. And then we're told that there's a separation on day two of the water from the land. 
And then there's living things and plants and flora. And then we're told of these, these creatures in the sea, right? And then we're told of things on the, uh, creatures on the land. And it's as if things are moving from simplicity toward complexity. They're moving toward single sameness towards diversity, very much the way our world works. But then on day six, there's something different. And that's where we're going to turn our attention this morning. It's the story of the creation of man and woman, human beings. And so look with me at verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. So there's this picture on the day six, it's like a crescendo because this poem is building. And if you saw the, the Hebrew text and structure, you'd understand that it, get, it literally widens and gets to a point of emphasis where he says, we're told in chapter two, male and female were very good. All the other things were good, but this, these people are very good because they're bearers of the image of God. They're separate and distinct from the rest of creation. And by coming last, there's a suggestion that they are to be the fullest of creation, those closest to God, and, those there, and therefore those who rule over the rest. Now, this concept of a poem uh, in the ancient world, particularly in, like, in the ancient times in the ancient Near East, of Mesopotamia and uh, the, the cultures of Egypt, they also had creation poems. It's not unique to the Hebrew people. They, the Hebrew people were enculturated in a greater, greater story and that many of the customs mirrored one another. But what's interesting is how the Hebrews treated this concept of being made in the image and likeness of God was very different from the rest. You see, in traditional cultures, like in ancient Mesopotamia, we find inscriptions of only rulers and kings who have this suggestion of being someone who's made in the image and likeness of God. We're told uh, about many of these, uh, these, these rulers or different kings throughout time, back in the ancient days, uh, thinking about 1500 BC. Uh, we have record of countless inscriptions that say that a given king or ruler is the image or likeness of the god of Bel or Marduk, a Shemesh, the god of the sun. And then we see the same thing in ancient Egypt, um, where King Tutankhamun was called the living image of the god Amun. Or Tutmosis IV was given the designation as the likeness of Ra, the god of the sun. You see, this designation that a divine being, the ultimate divine being, could give away their likeness was only ever given toward kings and rulers, those who were highest in a culture, those who held power, those who were most wealthy. Sometimes it was even given toward priests, a high priest who was an intermediary between God and the rest of the people. So the uniqueness, the uniqueness of this Hebrew text and the uniqueness that we're going to be exploring over the next six weeks is this idea that God would give everyday people the same designation. You see, it wasn't until a few hundred years later that the, write, the, com the composers and writers of Hebrews that would have followed these cultures and these inscriptions that we find in Egypt and Mesopotamia that the Hebrew writers said something really, really scandalous here. God said, every male and female. Each one of them is made in the image of God. Almost as if to say, to be human, any human, every human is to hold 
the birthright of royalty. Your birthright, my birthright, all of our birthright is that of royalty. As those who are impressed upon by the the, the God who gives away himself to us, who's given his qualities, his essence, his goodness to us from the very, very beginning, regardless of of, of who we are and what we've done, to be human is to be royalty. And so this morning, and, and, and in the following weeks, we're going to be unpacking this reality in a lot of different ways. Um, one author said it this way, and I'd love to quote him. This is an ancient, or, sorry, a Hebrew scholar. And he says this, I think. <laughs> Without doubt, the terminology employed in Genesis 1.26 is derived from regal vocabulary, which serves to elevate the king above the ordinary run of men. In the Bible, this idea has become democratized. All human beings are created in the image of God. Each person bears the stamp of royalty. Each of us bears the stamp of royalty. In Psalm 8, the psalmist is reflecting on this same passage, and they say this. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the work of your hands. You've put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. You know, so this is just understood. And it's something we often take for granted. It's something we take for granted in our very Bible because we have to acknowledge that for most of human history, across most cultures, This could not be taken for granted. The concept that every single person, uh, every single person enjoys the benefit of dignity, of the sense of godliness, the sense of royalty, is not the case for most of human history. Actually, it's only until recent cultures, in the 20th century, we haven't taken this seriously. We begin to see the emergence of cultures that actually begin to take this seriously. In fact, Sometimes if you've struggled with church and the Christian tradition and Christendom in general, and you've just seen like, wow, have we done much better than we've done harm? I know that question is real. It's real for many of us. Sometimes it's a hard question to ask. Some of you are barely here even in church because you've seen the pains of of church in your own experience. Or you look back on history and you see that as much light there is, but there's a lot of darkness. I want to suggest that this one thing This one thing is really, really good and really important and something we can't take for granted. Something worth holding on to. Something worth having hope in for this whole tradition. So as we start this series and we start this time together as we work toward Easter, I thought it'd be good if we didn't just think about these things, if we didn't just talk about these things. We're going to do that a lot in the next few weeks and it's going to be really important and make it a part of our worship. But I actually want to practice it together. So, I have some friends here with us. I'm going to invite them to come on up. Can you guys welcome Brad and Catherine? All right, so, Brad and Catherine have been on a wild, wild adventure over the last 19 months, and um, they're a part of an organization called EVAC, and we've already contributed to this organization, and they're doing some really, really incredible work. And it relates to this taking serious the idea 
of extending dignity and extending royalty to every single image bearer of God, everyone who breathes. So, um, Brad, you start by introducing yourself. Yeah, uh, so, uh, I mean, I met Dave to the Peacemaking Pathway because my wife, Kristen, and I started coming here about a year and a half ago. Uh, so it's been a very healing place for us, just knowing the heart of DCC. And, uh, and so I brought EVAC to Dave's attention where I help out. We're all volunteers with EVAC, but I help out a lot with the operational side and communication and, and things like that. I got to know Catherine through Brad and to learn more about the work at EVAC. And really, Catherine, the story of EVAC kind of goes back to you. I know you're not comfortable holding that, but like really comes back to your story. So can you unpack it for us? Yeah, well, it was not intentional at all. Um, so, well, I guess first off, because I'm going to forget to say it if I don't say it now. Thank you for, for having me here, for having us here. Um, and just thank you to all of you. As Dave mentioned, you've supported EVAC already, and so we thank you so much for that. So, to the story part, um, back in August of 2021, I heard an interview on the radio with an Afghan interpreter uh, who worked with U.S. troops during uh, our country's 20 years of war in Afghanistan. And this interpreter was in hiding because the Taliban had just taken over the country. Um, and having had absolutely zero knowledge or engagement with Afghanistan, um, kind of embarrassingly so, <laughs> um, this was the first I heard that the US was withdrawing from Afghanistan and the Taliban taking over the country. Um, and this is how I learned that thousands of people who worked for US troops or in the pursuit of freedom, women's rights, um, had to now go into hiding and were being basically hunted by the Taliban. And uh, you know, you hear stories like this all of the time on the radio, but the Holy Spirit really wouldn't let me forget about this one. And I realized that if I was born in Afghanistan, which I easily could be, I would want someone from the US to try to do something to help me and my family who suddenly found ourselves in hiding. So again, with zero knowledge, I ended up meeting an Afghan family um, via Twitter. I verified uh, his, he worked with the US, I verified his uh, employment, spoke to his supervisors, and then started really just as a regular person spamming anyone and everyone, calling in every favor to try to get this family of six out. And in October of 2022, this family of six, so more than a year later, finally made it out, and they are in Charlotte, North Carolina now, where they're thriving. So, yeah, so it was um, that one family, through a lot of hard work and a lot of God's miracles, turned into what is now today EVAC, uh, like Brad mentioned, a fully volunteer-run 501c3 nonprofit. And um, we aim to protect, evacuate, and resettle uh, over 350 at-risk Afghans. And so, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm actually just a regular person. I have a real job. I had zero knowledge in any of this. And so if you would have told me back in August 2021 when I heard that interview on the radio that um, I would have the privilege to develop an on-the-ground team in Afghanistan 
who is currently covertly delivering food monthly to people in hiding. Um, that I would know evasion tactics for moving someone from one place to another while avoiding Taliban detection. And also, frankly, that I would just be up on here um, speaking to you all about this. I would not have believed you. Um, I just said yes to the Holy Spirit's nudging and continued to say yes to Jesus's call to love our neighbor who, you know, as we all know, includes those who don't look like us, don't speak like us, don't believe like us. And, um, and that's what we're up here today about. We're, we're asking you to consider joining us in that yes, um, to come together to save eight of these Afghan families who are currently in danger. Um, they, they're in hiding, they can't go outside. And just to kind of give a little bit of context here. Most of the families that EVAC is advocating for have pathways to the US. They're able to immigrate here, like that family I talked about who's currently in North Carolina. But for these eight families who are in just as much danger, they don't have that option. Um, so we've helped protect them for over a year and a half now, trying to figure out how we can get them out of Afghanistan. And now we actually have a way, which is to Brazil, which is incredible that there's even this opportunity. Um, these are 36 individuals who are made in the image of God, uh, who Jesus cares about, um, and who were really invited to enter into God's bigger story of what he's doing here. So thanks for letting me share. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, we, we had an opportunity. Yeah, we can clap for Catherine. Um, one of the things... One of the things we talk about all the time for our community, for all of us, is that we want to become everyday peacemakers. And what you've done and what you've embodied is like really the highest picture of everyday peacemaking. So it's really, really been inspiring to, to be along for the journey and hear about it. And now we have this unique opportunity hearing about these eight families who are incredibly vulnerable. And it's hard to get your mind around thinking about being in hiding for 19 months. These are kids, babies, moms, dads who can't work. And so you've been coordinating uh, provisions for them through family members and other people who are risking their lives to, to make life possible for them. It's just unbelievable. So Brad, there's this unique opportunity we're talking about for these eight families. Can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Right, so it's called the, we call it the Brazil Pathway. And this actually came across our, our table about six months ago. And actually by the grace of you and DCC, our highest value Taliban target uh, he, was, he worked with one of the highest generals in Afghanistan. We took him through this Brazil pathway, and it was successful. And so he's one of many that we know this pathway works. And so you can kind of see up here, we have this kind of helpful slide uh, to see how it goes. But essentially, it's, it's a year long that we're working with these eight families that have no other pathway, where we go through back channels to get them passports and visas to nearby third countries, in this case, Pakistan. And then we have an arrangement for a secure transport from Afghanistan to Pakistan. And then, while they're in Pakistan, we're going to support them for about six months as they're going through this next process. And so that's giving them food and, and utilities uh, and just taking care of them those six months while they're waiting to go to Brazil. And so it's also covering flights to Brazil and visas to Brazil. And then uh, one of my favorite aspects of this is that we're working with an organization in Brazil that supports them for six months 
gives them food, it gives them housing, uh, and it also teaches them the language and job training and then job placement after that. And so this Brazil pathway for these eight families that have been stuck in hiding for a year and a half, like you said, are going to be able to get to live full and free lives in Brazil with this program. And it's a year long of support. And for an adult, it only costs 10000 And for a child, it only costs 7000 for this holistic placement to be given a full life instead of this one and hiding a potentially death where they are right now. So that's, that's the Brazil pathway. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, there really aren't many opportunities where, um, you know, we watch like a video late at night and it's about like save the children. And I'm not, some of those things are really well intended and good, but there's, having done this work for a really long time, there's not many times when there's really literally a life and death situation. And that's what we're looking at for these families. Um, yeah, it's really, really sobering just having even like, Think about, oh, who could we possibly help? I mean, realizing you're playing with people's lives um, through this whole thing. Um, but here's the deal. So we have an opportunity to show up for one of these families. And so we have a video this morning, and I really want you to take this seriously. Um, we have an unblurred video because there's someone who's going to share their story. If, of, uh, and, uh, but I really need you to take it seriously. So no photographs, okay, no videos. We'll release a video later that will be blurred for the confidentiality of these folks, but this is a really big deal, okay? So cell phones away. If someone pulls a cell phone out, smack it out of your neighbor's hand. Um, and we'll, you will be able to share this with other people in a blurred way, but we're going to show you a video this morning and kind of meet one of these families. So let's do it. Hello, good morning, Denver Community Church. My name is Abdul Muttalab. And this is my daughter. Hello. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Denver Community Church. Thank you. Thank you. She's sending you love and kiss and well, I love you. She just knows Latin in English. Good morning, Denver Community Church. My name is Rhea. And this is my little cute daughter. Her name is Najma. And she she just wants to talk and she wants to thank to Denver Community Church. Well, let me tell you my story that I started working as an English teacher for one of the youth embassy funded projects here in Afghanistan. Later on, I work with US armies in Afghanistan just as a translator and as an English teacher for Afghan military forces and with joint work of US troops. I also work for US funded projects in Afghanistan. So these are all the reasons that the Taliban are targeting me. They are looking for me and they are looking for my wife too. They called me a spy. They, they we supported US troops and US organizations. Therefore, they want revenge us back. Same case goes to my wife, Roya. She she's not really good at English, but she just worked as in a, a girls' education promotion in one of the local schools in Afghanistan. Due to the uh, recent Kabul fall down and the takeover of Kabul, the school was closed and uh, the Taliban are actively looking for her. They send us a letter specifically to me to come to the airport, but we changed our location. 
And we would love to say thank you uh, to Denver Community Church because we are going to be taken to Brazil. We are really excited. We are really happy for this initiative. Same case goes to my daughter. Thank you. Thank you. You're happy. We are happy. We're good to Brazil. We're good to Brazil. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think that for me, um, it was like meeting the the first person that I mentioned I met. Uh, off of Twitter's now in Charlotte, seeing them, seeing that these are real people who are made in the image of God, who are in hiding, who are incredible, seeing you know his adorable uh, daughters there. Um, it, it really is a miracle that this opportunity even exists. And I just wanna, wanna stress that all of these eight families have interviews scheduled in April um, at the Brazilian embassy in Pakistan. And the fact that like this opportunity even exists is such an amazing thing. Um, and I think that we can, I at least, can tend to get really overwhelmed by the numbers, right? So Brad mentioned it's $10,000 for an adult, $7,000 for a child 11 and under. And so, you know, we've, we've raised about 25% of that so far, so we've got $270,000 left to go in a short amount of time. And these numbers can feel so big and so overwhelming. And the amazing thing is that this opportunity even exists. And so the, that's the hardest part, I think, um, to even have a legal way for these people to be able to rebuild new lives and safety. And so... Um, we just have to collectively give and raise the money to be able to do it. Um, and I, I, I did want to share this, this story because it's, it's been something that continues to convict me and continue to remind me when um, if the whole thing feels like a lot. Um, it's, it's remembering their faces that we just saw. And it's also that this story that um, one of the families were advocating for when they spoke about their life the past year and a half, they called it a living hell. And, you know, their, their ch children can't go outside and play, they can't work, girls are not allowed to go to school in Afghanistan now in general, and then these families are also in hiding on top of that. The constant fear, lots of trauma, family members kidnapped and tortured to try and find their whereabouts. And... Um, I just wanna ask you and, and challenge all of us, what is more like Jesus than quite literally taking these families out of their living hell and bringing them to safety, where they have the opportunity to heal, where they have the opportunity to rebuild full lives in freedom? And so, yeah, I just invite you all to, to join us in the, the bigger story that God's writing here. Thanks so much, Catherine. All right, so here's what we've done. Um, as a church, because of your incredible, incredible generosity over this last year, we, on behalf of a reminder that 20% of what you give uh, here at DCC goes to Project Renew and our, our partners locally, internationally, all the work we're doing uh, here and abroad. And so that's incredible. And because of your generosity this year, we were able to commit $18,000 toward this opportunity, which is like a really big deal. Um, 
the full cost of saving a, this family is $35,500. And so uh, what we're asking is that today, as a part of this time in Lent, as a part of this moment in our culture and our time, and in light of this incredible opportunity before us, you'd consider today as a part of your worship giving above and beyond what you would normally give at DCC. And what our leadership has agreed to is that even if you came here and you weren't obviously planning to be a part of this initiative, but you wanted to give today, every dollar that comes in here today is just a part of your giving to the general fund or whatever will go to say, helping save this family. And so we need to raise basically another $18,000. Um, and I know that when we make an ask like that, that's normal, not normally something we do as a part of a worship service. Sometimes that's uncomfortable, so certain people are just like, what are we doing? But I think for all of us, as we saw this opportunity, we're like, this is a no-brainer. Like, this is a no-brainer just to put into action something we actually believe is at the very, very center of our tradition and what we're all about. So um, the other thing is maybe you're here and you're like, I could write a check for $18,000 right now. Well, great. Um, <laughs> that would be really good because we're committing to this family, but really you heard uh, that Catherine's like, we need to raise a lot of money. Um, another $270,000. So uh, just know that if we raise above and beyond, we'll commit that to other individuals, you know, that need to get out. So it's $10,000 per adult and $7,000 roughly per kid. And this goes to things, again, like passports and transportation costs and security details and visas and the whole process, and then giving them six months of, of basically living support when they're there in Brazil. So um, it's a really, really cool thing. I want to thank you guys uh, for your work. Um, one thing I'm not going to tell you is that um, they really do have like real jobs and they actually work those jobs full time. Neither of them are actually paid. And one of the beautiful, I don't know how sustainable that is in the long, long run. Um, and we've had talks about that, but um, it's pretty incredible that when you give the EVAC, really literally 99.5% of what you give goes right back out to folks and supporting folks in Afghanistan. So thank you. Thanks for being who you are and your incredible like gift to the world and to uh, this incredible work. So you. love you guys. Um, so with that, uh, there are a bunch of slips of paper and we're going to transition back to worship together, but there's a bunch of slips of paper throughout the auditorium and they have QR codes on it. And so um, if you want to give and make that a part of your gift this morning, again, anything you give to DCC this morning will 100% go to this work of saving this family and other families um, who are in this horrible situation. And just know that literally the choice of generosity today is a choice to save a life. It really is a choice to save a life. Um, and with that, let's pray. God, <clears throat> thank you. Thanks for the inspiring, inspiring work of, of Brad and Catherine. I, uh, I pray for Abdul and Roya and their little girls, thinking of what they've been through in the long arc of more than a decade of war. Um, and, and even bigger than that, just the story that they've had to live the last 19 months in hiding and in fear. And God, we just think of them. We hold them close. We think of these other families that um, have not been supported yet. And we think of countless others who, who have a little hope. And this is just one small corner of the world. But God, as we choose to believe and trust that every single person is an image bearer of God, who's born into the birthright of royalty and goodness and dignity, Lord, we pray that our contributions, our choice to help this morning, would be one small step in a bigger need of your love 
your goodness and generosity in the world. God, we hold this family close this morning and thank you that we can be together in Jesus' name. Amen.